Hi, I'm Emily Rendell-Watson. And I'm Faiza Ramji, and this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Okay, so uh, we don't have a guest today, but we do have quite a few different interesting stories and headlines to chat about. Uh, A couple of them are pieces that I worked on over the last uh, week or so for Taproot, different tech news there. And then we also have a couple other fun ones. So the first story or news that I wanted to mention was Wyvern. So we talked to Callie Lissina and uh, Curtis, two different co-founders. There's four co-founders at Wyvern and we talked to two of them. And that was uh, back kind of when they had started on their journey in Y Combinator. So it must have been in February at some point. And uh, yeah, we heard a little bit more about the company and what they were up to at that time. And I talked to them again this past week about Y Combinator because they were wrapping it up. There was two different demo days as part of Y Combinator this year because there was 414 companies, which seems like an incredible amount that were participating in this iteration or, or batch of the program. And so before we go on, I'd be, if you're not familiar with Y Combinator, which as I'm sure you are, but if um, <laughs> anyone listening is not familiar with Y Combinator, uh, it's a technology accelerator that is based in Silicon Valley, pretty famous in terms of developing companies. And this batch of the program was actually the first to receive a higher injection of capital. So all the companies participating, including Wyvern, uh, received 500 thousand dollars of capital for their company. So I think that was obviously very welcome for Wyvern. And uh, yeah, so I talked to them about their experience in the program and then also um, how they're planning on uh, carrying what they learned forward. And I think there's a lot of different insights that were pretty interesting about how they were able to really scale up during the three months or so, I guess it was, that they were participating. Yeah. And I think if I'm not mistaken, Y Combinator started meeting virtually because of COVID. And I think that kind of started maybe a little bit, opened the floodgates a little bit more to companies that wanted to be part of it. So instead of going down to Silicon Valley for a few months, you can actually work on it remotely. And I've been curious about accelerators because we have so many opening up in Alberta. And I always wonder like, what's the difference between all these and what's the value proposition for the the entrepreneur to want to be part of the accelerator. And from what I know of Y Combinator, one of the biggest things is just the cachet that comes with being in Y Combinator and how you get attention from different investors and media and things like that. But I think the other is the network that you build. And so I wonder, you know, how, how they found the experience different being virtual rather than in person, but also maybe how it's become more viable for other businesses and business owners to actually be part of it now that they don't have to leave their company for a few months and they can actually take part in both. But I think it's pretty cool to see more Canadian companies entering Y Combinator and definitely more from Alberta. Because I think, you know, when you think about everything that entrepreneurs are saying that they're missing in Alberta is access to people in bigger markets and then access to to new forms of capital and new investors. And so I can imagine that Y Combinator would kind of offer, offer them both. And so I'm excited to see how that starts to propel Wyvern forward uh, a little bit faster. 
Yeah, that piece you mentioned about it being virtual was an important one. I did ask Callie about that when I talked to her and she said that it actually like one would imagine did make it a lot more accessible for the team because it meant although they weren't immersed necessarily in some of the networking experience that that they would have received if they were in California, they still were able to participate in the program fully and get access to all that learning. But it meant they could also continue to focus on the day-to-day operations as opposed to having all four co-founders who are um, understandably pretty immersed in all different sides of the operations of the company. They're still present to do that as well. So yeah, and the other interesting part of that was that uh, despite obviously not being in person with this community of entrepreneurs who are participating. I think Callie and the three other co-founders, Curtis Broda, Kristen Cote, and Chris Robson, one thing she pointed out was, you know, although Wyvern's four years old, 50% of that time has been during the pandemic, which for a lot of companies has made it really difficult to help them feel connected, whether that's locally or more broadly in the country or internationally in terms of with other entrepreneurs. So it really, because there was a couple other aerospace uh, type companies who are participating in this batch, gave them a way to connect with them and and really work together to figure out solutions to different kinds of problems or things they were tackling to do with sales. Uh, Like for example, one of those was they were really focused on the sales component and demonstrating that they've mitigated the market risk with their technology, even though the earth imaging that they're hoping to offer at some point isn't yet commercially available. And so they were able to work really closely alongside the the other aerospace companies that I mentioned and share some of those tactics and problem solving to figure out how to prove that. So being able to communicate that was key in terms of fundraising and pitching overall, which all culminated in this pitch on demo day on March 29th, which was only 60 seconds. And I mean, would require, I think about summing up (laughs) everything that Wyvern does, like a company that's so high level in terms of space, like how you sum up uh, all of that in 60 seconds and like mind blowing, but. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's funny, like I, you know, a lot of the things that Wyvern talks about in, in the Taproot story that you did is interesting because I resonate with a lot of that. Like, you know, I started Field Notes in the pandemic. And in fact, the product came about because of a condition, market condition that was created by the pandemic. And so it's difficult to just build some natural relationships and have conversations without an expectation. Like you don't just kind of there's a long time where you didn't just meet somebody for coffee or have a phone call with somebody just to kind of casually chat about your business. And and then it leads you into these surprising opportunities. Whereas like now it feels like when you're reaching out to somebody to ask them for a conversation, you already need to know how the conversation is going to go or what you're going to ask, which I think takes away some of the magic. But I, you know, knowing really very little about the alcohol world, I have been looking at accelerators too, because it's like, well, if I can tap into this community of experts in something where I lack expertise, then that can just give me a few more legs up that I don't already have. And so I, I kind of, I would, I would love to hear about the Wyvern team's experience compared to like the folks who took part in the 500 accelerator mm-hmm. in Alberta, where a lot of those mentors came from other cities, but all the companies are from Alberta and can continue to kind of build relationships with each other based on that common experience. So I just wonder which one 
I don't think any of them is better necessarily, but I do wonder how they're different and why somebody might be compelled to to maybe go into a couple of accelerators. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think you can get different. You can, obviously speaking as someone who has never <laughs> myself participated in an accelerator, maybe there's a journalism accelerator that I should, uh, <laughs> that I should go. I feel like I really just, I need like a journalism like nap after the pandemic, but maybe not an accelerator. <laughs> but, um, but I think that, yeah, you, you would just speaking to all different kinds of folks who have participated in an you know, whether it's people who are looking at plug and play or 500 global or Y Combinator, like it seems like each one really offers different things and not just for companies that are at different stages in their growth, but also just in terms of, like you said, like networking and who you'd be connected with. And obviously with Y Combinator, like accessing and same with 500 global, it seems like, you know, having access to the mentors or people you'd learn from directly in the program, but then also like their huge network of connections around the world is um, obviously really important. And actually when I was working on this Wyvern story, I did also talk to Matthew Anderson Barron, who's at the CEO of Future Fields. Uh, and they're also a local Y Combinator backed company that participated in the summer 2020 batch. And as far as I could find, there didn't seem like there had been any other Edmonton companies, at least in recent years, who participated in the, in Y Combinator's regular programs. So I think that in and of itself that we've had, you know, two out of Edmonton uh, in the last couple of years is impressive. And also he talked about a little how the experience has helped the future fields team in terms of when it comes to fundraising and the, how that's helped them grow. And, you know, asked him a little bit as well about some of the key parts of coming out of the experience and then applying it because they're now, I think, a year and a half out. So he really talked about like, you know, using the experience from Y Combinator. And I think this would apply to any accelerator, but, you know, going at it like really hard and quick when you have that momentum and you have those connections. And so, um, it sounded like from Cali that their Wyvern had already received a lot of interest after the pitch that Chris Robson, its CEO, made last week um, and had heard back from quite a few investors who were interested in, I think, either setting up meetings or learning more or perhaps uh, investing. So hopefully they're able to capitalize on that and and uh, continue to grow as well. Mm-hmm. What was it? You said there was 400 and some companies pitching. Yeah, 414. Uh, Wow. So I think, you know, definitely <laughs> That's why all 60 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely we need the Wyvern folks to give us their pitch because I'd love to, I'd love to hear how they've perfected that 60 second pitch. And if they're already garnering a lot of interest, then clearly it was a good one. So I'll have a notebook and pen ready whenever they can, they can share it with us. Yeah, that's a good point. I will. I, I So I didn't get the pitch from them. That's a good point. I'll have to ask Callie and see if that's up somewhere that we can watch or maybe they can just do it for us and give us their top tips. But she did say she wrote on LinkedIn and then we talked about this as well, about how one of the biggest takeaways that they learned was that all you really need to do is show real quantified traction and like not worry about all the other stuff that makes it look good. So like the slide design or the script or the tactics or like really trying to pull anything to make it bigger than it seems really just like showing that you've done something truly impressive and let that speak for itself. So, I mean, if that that's indeed what they did, clearly it's worked for them. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, the next one is uh, to do with Pulse Medica. So Pulse Medica, I, I don't know if we've talked about Pulse Medica too much on Bloom to date, but they 
were the winner of the last regular Startup TNT Investment Summit, I guess. Maybe not regular is the right word, but it was their um, <laughs> their, their normal one that's not specified into an agnostic, I guess, would be maybe a better way to describe it. It wasn't like their clean tech or health innovation specific summit, but that was last fall. And so they won that and they raised, I believe, over 500000 from that summit. And so we wrote about that then, and the amount of investment went towards a seed round that it's just wrapped up, and it uh, it was oversubscribed and it raised two point six million, including that five hundred k from startup TNT, and uh, it's going to be using that to run its first clinical trial beginning this June. Wow, that's amazing! And Pulse Medica is working on figuring out how to treat patients with major eye disease and connect those to other diseases, chronic diseases, is that correct? Yeah. So it's working on a platform that it's developed, which uses an imaging system to capture someone's eye. And then that would then determine where to treat and then deliver the treatment using lasers instead of injections. So complicated technology. I certainly had to have explained to me more than one time in different <laughs> conversations to be able to explain it in in simpler terms like that. But in terms of the clinical trial that it's running this June, it's hoping to demonstrate the safety and accuracy of that imaging and laser delivery system. So they'll be testing it on 10 to 15 patients in Edmonton who have diabetic retinopathy. That's pretty amazing. And I know that there have been a lot of people trying to figure out how these university spinoffs actually commercialize and grow and scale. And I know that was a big part of the impetus for Tech Edmonton. So I I do kind of wonder, like, without Tech Edmonton being in this ecosystem, I mean, I don't, I can't directly correlate whether or not they had a direct impact on how many companies were scaling compared to just market conditions. But I do think I've, I've been hearing more and more about U of A spinoff companies growing and scaling a little bit more than I used to. And I just wonder what's changed or are they just finding their audiences a bit better? Or are they just getting better at articulating what they do or, or is there a niche that we're just really good at in, in Edmonton or in Alberta? Like, you know, one of the things that I see in common with Pulse Medica and Wyvern, who are in obviously very different industries, they both are really good at imaging and very specialized mm. imaging. And I don't think it's the same imaging because I know that Wyvern's has more to do with hyperspectral imaging, like different layers of colors and things like that. And I'm I'm not sure if Pulse Medica uses a similar principle or not, but I do think it's kind of neat that we're building a lot of this capacity in really intelligent imaging. Yeah. No, I agree. I think your point about in terms of like why we're seeing more of these companies scale up, I don't know necessarily the answer to that, but I think that what you're touching on is well important just in terms of that point of because, and that's something that Pulse Medica mentioned as well. I talked to NUR and then as well there, who's the CEO and then also their senior manager of operations and business development. And uh, he mentioned that, you know, that point of because they're really doing this in Edmonton, they're doing this in-house, it is unique because obviously, regardless of wherever the company ends up, wherever the technology ends up, that talent has been trained here, has been developed here. And so um, you have all those people that are you know, specialized in optics or electronics for medical devices. And then that's that super specialized knowledge, hopefully, you know, maybe 
is either applied to other companies doing similar work or um, new companies. And if you, you know, have 20, 30, 40 people who are trained in that, then yeah, maybe it means other spinoffs or whatever that may be. So I think that that will be interesting to see, especially as we have more and more companies like Pulse Medica and, and Wyvern that experience mm-hmm. success, how that all shakes out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, success definitely breeds success. So I yes. think uh, it's nice that we're kind of feels like we're we're hitting a stride where there's lots of good news stories and and I'm sure there's lots of other ones that we haven't heard of yet or ones that have maybe pivoted a bit in an in an unwanted direction. But I I definitely think it's exciting to see that you know all of the talent that we have on the R and D side is working its way into a commercial space. Mm-hmm. The last little bit on Pulse Medica uh, was they are aiming to move into a newer, bigger space this summer at some point. So uh, hopefully we'll hear news about that soon. And as they're pushed towards their clinical trial in June, the next push beyond that will be uh, its goal of making the technology available to clinicians by 2024. So stay tuned in two years (laughs) for more details. (laughs) Okay. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. In the last episode, you heard the second part of a conversation with Taproot's co-founder, Mac Mail, and the CEO of Innovate Edmonton, Catherine Warren, about inclusive innovation. Here's more of that conversation. This is the mandate of Innovate Edmonton, I think, to ensure and promote and celebrate and encourage innovation in this city. Uh, So I'm curious about this idea of inclusive innovation. I think oftentimes we think we should know how many startups were created or how much funding was raised. Should we be measuring inclusive innovation in some way? How would we do that? You know, we absolutely do need to measure inclusive innovation in the community. It does very much speak to our role and mandate with the city of Edmonton. We have a strategic plan where we've identified multiple core initiatives and we have performance metrics for each of these things. And we have tied these metrics into not only the municipal economic action plan, but to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. For example, we are measuring the sectors and industries that our program participants work in, how local companies and innovators align to these UN SDGs and global challenges that we've identified. The number of Edmonton City wards that are home to innovators and innovations and what's up in those neighborhoods. So this is not yet a complete picture of inclusive innovation. uh, And we certainly have room to grow. Over time, we're going to develop richer metrics and reporting to share with the city and the public. Um, But we, we also need help. So this means we'll be looking to Edmonton's innovation communities to fill in some of the gaps and provide us with data that we don't yet have as a city. So we will ask them to self-report on inclusive innovation metrics. We will ask them their definitions of innovation and the innovation delta that they're working on. So we we really understand if you're an expert in uh, greening the grid, you're on the front lines, you know what innovation means in your field. 
If you're an expert in domestic violence mitigation, you know where that innovation is. And so having that innovation measurement come from the community is really important. So as a starting place, we'll be producing a survey later this year to help us better understand the diversity of Edmonton's companies. And then we have a platform already called Edmonton's Greatest Innovations, Edgy, that we launched for data gathering, mapping, and visualization. So our vision for this platform is for Edgy to be a one-stop shop for our innovation communities and provide real-time data, including inclusivity, global challenges, and more. So with all of that in mind, we want to measure what matters, and we want to do that hand in glove with our communities. Okay, this next one uh, is not a story or uh, something that I've worked on, but it's something I'm very passionate about, which is pizza. If you aren't familiar with Haido, you're missing out. Maybe you should have gotten them to sponsor this episode or something, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's very good. And I have indulged in it quite a few times during the pandemic. Um, and uh, anyway, but yes, so they are offering um, Detroit style pizza. And they've been doing it out of the Three Boars restaurant, which uh, if you don't know, are familiar with it, it's on uh, 109th Street. And they essentially weren't able to use that space during the pandemic. And so uh, they you know, decided to pivot and start cooking pizza out of the Three Boars location. And if for anyone who has gone to or who decided to try Haido in the last two years, it uh, was hard to get your hands on it because you would like for a while, like, I mean, they'd sell out by, I don't I think they would open up at like three or four and then they'd sell out by like five or six. And I remember I had gone for like a really long road bike training ride one day and I came back and I was like, oh, I just, I would love like some just heavy pizza. Like that would just taste really good right now. And so I ordered some high dough and I think the wait was like two or three hours. But I was like committed to the the goal of getting it. But anyway, so it's very popular for um, for a while and, and still popular, of course. So clearly their pivot was maybe a bit unexpectedly immensely successful for them. But now that I've talked all around that, the, the news is that they are celebrating their second birthday and they have um, opened up a actual permanent spot for Haido um, that is across from the Strathcona High School, which uh, apparently was previously used for uh, Royal Pizza. So they're using that space now and they've painted it bright yellow. And uh, yeah, I think it'll be, it's in a pretty central location. So, and bigger than, than the Three Boars location. So it'll be interesting to see how the business continues to grow. I just think it's like, I just love this story, how it's such a pandemic success story, how much they've been successful in terms of something that was just creative in terms of using the space that they had that wasn't working when dine-in obviously wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. And Emily, first of all, um, I'm really glad to hear you say that you're passionate about pizza because uh, if you said that you weren't, I think um, that would be the end of this podcast as we know it because uh, pizza is one of my favorite things. And I love that Edmonton is such a pizza city. Like we do mm -hmm. have some really amazing pizza. And I know you're not from here originally, Emily, so I would highly encourage you if you haven't already, you should go to Tony's Pizza Palace downtown. It is amazing. I have never been there. Okay. Oh my God. You got to go there. You gotta go there. Okay. There's like, I mean, I could go on and on about pizza because there's so many good places, and I am 
like highly embarrassed and disappointed in myself that I haven't been to Haido yet, but it's for exactly the reason that you said is that the, the wait times are always so long and I live mm-hmm. in the burbs because I am an old lady at heart and <laughs> it's hard to get there. Now that they're opening a new location, I'm excited because first of all, yes, you're right. Pandemic successes are great. Secondly, pandemic successes in hospitality are even more amazing because we know how hard it's been for those businesses, even pre-pandemic, to really grow and scale. So I think that's also phenomenal. And then third, I bet you there's such good juju in that location because Royal Pizza is another one of my favorites, which again, is a very controversial point of discussion depending on who you talk to, but I think it's amazing. Just like the quality or taste? Just, it's, it's everything. It's like the fact that it's a, a chain. You know, sometimes people love to hate on chains, but it's a mm. local chain. It's really good. Okay. I've also not had Royal Pizza. So oh my God, Emily. <laughs> okay. I think we have a field trip here that we need to do. Um, you but can bike, I'll drive. Lot, so. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You, you can, you can bike along this whole tour and I'll, I'll drive and we'll just check out some pizza because <laughs> yeah, it's phenomenal. Pizza. It's phenomenal. Pizza. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. I'll, I'll add those, those to my list. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for these guys. And um, I think one thing they definitely do a great job of this team is focusing on a narrow concept and mm-hmm. like owning it, you know, even with Pharaoh, what they've managed to do in terms of um, just having a little bit of fun with everything that they do. Like it, it always doesn't need to be so serious. And we can see that with the graphics that they always have and, you know, just some of the ways that they name things. And I just think they're a super creative team. And uh, yeah, like you, I'm I'm just happy that they're doing well. I, I didn't realize that there was actually uh, same owners in terms of Pharaoh and uh, and Three Boars slash Hido. So, I mean, that, that mm-hmm. makes, I guess, after making that connection, a lot of it makes sense. But And it sounds like they'll potentially even be another restaurant in the works as it's unlikely that Three Boars is going to return. But I think they're, for now, Hido will also, also operate out of their, its initial location still. But it sounds like they're, they're hoping to spin something else of, out of the Three Boars location um, that has something closer to uh, what it was before in terms of dine-in. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that space. Maybe it'll be another pizza place. Who knows? Ooh, <laughs> Probably maybe. not, but <laughs> maybe. a lot of pizza. And- yeah, and I think their ownership team is also connected to a new butcher shop or a butcher venture mm-hmm. of some sort called um, Modest Meats, Modern Meats. Oh, okay. Yes, I think I've heard. I uh, I don't know it off the top of my head, but yeah, no, they they clearly have done well. Maybe I feel like the one thing they're missing from their arsenal when we look at like sandwich, pizza, a dine-in, um, meat is donuts. Like it, it would be good to have another donut. Sh- I think another donut shop would be good. You well, can never have too many. <laughs> see, I don't know. I think you can, but I will say that we could use some more of these niche concepts. I just checked. It is modest meats and okay. um, it looks like they're doing whole animal butchery, which is which is cool. I mean, I don't know about donuts. I think we have a lot of those, but I definitely think <laughs> I definitely think we could use I mean, anything else made out of bread. I don't know about you, but I'm just like let's just, mm-hmm. ooh, why don't they just make a bakery? with all the different kind of breads that they specialize in. <laughs> then you have Breadland right down the road, you know? I mean, True. Also, anyway. last time I checked, they weren't asking us for any business advice. So I'm not sure why, <laughs> why we think that they're going to listen to us, but whatever. They probably if they not. do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I think we can definitely yeah. commit to being tasters if they need any yes. help or if they need help yeah. testing how many pizzas they can make under pressure or whatever, anything they need. I, there. I think it'd be quite innovative for this to evolve into a, a food tasting podcast. <laughs> that seems like a good pivot that I would be on board with. <laughs> uh, maybe Taproot, no, but <laughs> we can discuss uh, the last couple of things. Uh, here, Vimy Ridge Academy uh, will be the first junior high in Alberta to launch an esports academy for students who want to enter competitive video games. I say this as someone who has absolutely, absolutely zero, zero gaming experience, but I think that does sound really interesting. And so the curriculum, they're working on it right now, um, but essentially the academy is going to resemble any other Vimy Ridge sports program with designated times throughout the day to play video games. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool because I mean, I know esports is growing and I know we have quite a big gaming community here in Alberta, but I don't know. I mean, is it good for kids to be spending that much more time on screens during the day? I mean, I guess maybe at, at Vimy Ridge, they're not necessarily on screens outside of that time. They're probably schooling themselves offline, but I do think it's cool that we're embracing new versions of sports or new new definitions of sports. But I do wonder, mm -hmm. I know that they, with hockey and things like that, they have quite an immersive program. So I just wonder what that time looks like during the day. Well, I, I'm curious to see like who comes out of this program because I think like I've I've reported a little bit on esports and I think it's just because it's so it's so not my world. I'm I'm not familiar with it, but it is amazing to me that like how much money and how successful players can be doing this mm -hmm. honestly like probably more successful than a lot of athletes which is yeah. maybe concerning um <laughs> and uh also just even reading because cbc initially reported about this even reading the story that they put out you know live competitions for games like league of legends have actually sold out stadiums like madison square garden which wow like, yeah so Clearly, it's on the rise. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe we'll have some. Uh, I think we've already had some young students who are good at this kind of thing out of Alberta and Edmonton. So maybe we'll we'll see more of that. Just another way, I guess, to put Edmonton on the map. Yeah, hopefully we keep this a secret from my nephews. They're six and eight, and they are like <laughs> amazing at games. And uh, in fact, like they study YouTube videos of other kids playing the games that oh, they're wow. playing. Yeah. So my talent kind of taps out around Super Mario Brothers mm, as, yes, and Mario Kart. Yeah. And Mario mm -hmm. Kart, which I've gotten pretty good at, but they are like ridiculous. I can't even play with them because it's just embarrassing. And they are embarrassed by me that I can't actually play the games as well as they can. But I mean, I, if, if somebody tells them about this, I'm pretty sure they're going to try to change the trajectory of their education. So I feel like it would require a lot of like dexterity or like you'd have to mm -hmm. do like a lot of like hand, I don't know, handwork, hand stretch. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they have to a just physiotherapist like even, on site, yeah. you know, like <laughs> yeah, carpal probably. tunnel and stuff. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. Um, I think there's one more here. Yes. And that's uh, Sam Desk. You know, they're always doing interesting things. And I think they're continually showing people the power of listening on social media. And so they've launched The Breakdown, uh, a new video series that kind of goes through the anatomy of events when looking at security and safety in the world. And I think they're using different different world events on each episode. And the first one is on the Marshall Fire in Colorado, which uh, is quite a recent event. So I'm interested to take a look at that and see what they're able to glean from it. 
Yes, I don't I don't have too much more to add to that, but I think Samdesk incredible. Like just the team and uh you know, we talked a little bit about Samdesk not too long ago and what they're doing in terms of um Ukraine. So anything it seems that they come up with is innovative and and does well and um also just, you know, really serving in terms of people's awareness of uh, different things that are going on in the world, which is Mm -hmm. always important. Yeah. Well, that is it for this week. If you haven't already, please hit subscribe. And you can also visit taprootedmonton.ca for the latest innovation news. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beeker and cover art is by Vicky Wersinski. Mm -hmm.